Turn to the person next to you and ask them this question. What are you looking for? Go for it. Join me in the book of Revelation this morning. The book of Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. As you are finding the book of Revelation, any Lord of the Rings fans here? Okay. Maybe you're not a fan, but how many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings? movies, okay, or read the book, okay, um, I want you to think about those movies for a moment, I want you to think about a turning point in those movies, can you think of a turning point in those movies, there's, there's, there's several I'm sure, but as I was thinking about that this week, the turning point that came to my mind in that, in that series, The Lord of the Rings, was the Council of Elrond, I think is what they call it where you have representatives from all the different realms, like Gimli the dwarf, uh, you have Boromir, you have uh, Legolas from the elves, you have Gandalf, right? And they're all trying to determine what should we do with this evil ring. We've got to destroy this ring. And the way to destroy it is by throwing it where? The fires of Mordor, right? We've got to destroy this ring. And so they're trying to, they're debating and they're having this conversation. Who's going to throw this ring in the fire, right? And, and they kind of like get all like, you know, I don't know, just start, you know, posturing themselves a little bit and all this stuff. And they start arguing with one another and debating and discussing. And it gets, you know, start yelling at one another. And in the midst of all the craziness, you have this kind of little unassuming guy who's just auditing the class, if you will. He's just kind of there along for the ride to just kind of see what goes on. And he's, all this stuff is happening, and then you hear this little voice from this little hobbit, and he says, I will take it. I will take it. I will take the ring to Mordor. Turning point. From that moment on, the lives of those who were there at that council would never be the same. They'd never be the same again. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, as well as the revelation to John, records this moment where there's two guys who are following John the Baptist. So John the Baptist has his own little band of brothers, right? And they're following him. And then um, Jesus walks by John the Baptist, and John the Baptist goes, Behold, the Lamb of God. And it's like immediately those two guys start stalking Jesus. They leave John the Baptist, start walking behind Jesus. And Jesus knows this, so as he, he's kind of noticing that they're walking behind him, and, and he turns to them and he asks them a question. And the question Jesus asks these two guys is, what are you looking for? What a great question. What are you looking for? What a great question. If you're desiring other people to follow Jesus like you follow Jesus, what a great question to ask you. Like, what is it that you're really looking for? And so Jesus asks them that question. And these two men, their response is a little unique. They say, um, where are you staying? Kind of, uni- I, you know, kind of a unique response. And I kind of just, re- reading that, I'm like, well, it seems to me by their reaction, like, they, what are they looking for? They're looking for Jesus. They want to learn a little bit more about this guy, Jesus. And then what does Jesus say next? Anybody know what he says next to these guys after they say, well, where are you staying? Yes beautiful. Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. 
And from that moment on, those two guys' lives would never be the same. Turning point. And we, we get the names of one of the guys. One of his, the guy's names is Andrew. And the other one, we don't really know his name. His name isn't mentioned, but many believe it is actually John, the one who wrote the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. And so from that moment on, John and Andrew, their lives would never be the same. Turning point. They would follow Jesus even to their death. I think it's safe to say that most everyone in the room this morning is looking for some kind of turning point. Right? You're looking for some kind of turning point maybe in a relationship, maybe in your finances, maybe with a job. Um, maybe you're looking for some kind of turning point in leadership, uh, maybe in government, um, maybe house church pastors, you're looking for some kind of turning point in your house church, or maybe you're just looking for a turning point in your own relationship with God because it's just kind of gotten cold. I think it's safe to say that most everyone here is probably looking for a turning point, and, and the church as a whole is looking for a turning point. I spend a lot of time talking to different church leaders and pastors, and if you talk to them, church has changed. Church has incredibly changed just within the past two years. As I talk to pastors, people that were once gathering with the church before COVID are no longer gathering with the church. They're watching online, and if we're honest, they're probably not. They're not engaging at all with the church body anymore. We have some Christians who who are just living in sexual sin and they're defending it. And is my body my choice? We have some Christians who, who would call themselves Christians, right? Who say there's something alive going on with them and Jesus, but really behind the scenes, they're just spiritually dead people walking. And we, we live in a culture right now where if you defend biblical truth, you defend biblical truth in the sense of defending gender according to how God defines it in Scripture. There's potential that you could be misunderstood, ostracized, isolated, and because you believe that that's what's best for anyone and everyone, because that's the way God designed it. And you believe that's best for anyone, and you can be loving and caring, and you should be, and gentle. But we just live in a time right now where, as I even read on someone's post the other day, if you believe that, you are even considered unsafe. It's just the culture we're in right now. The church is at a turning point. We're at a turning point. We need a turning point, right? And there's persecution already here. It's maybe in different forms than maybe prison or jail, but it's already here. And as I said, if you continue to speak up for biblical truth because you believe that's best for anyone and everyone the persecution will just increase. We're at a turning point. And we're not much different 
than the churches to whom the book of Revelation is written. We're not. Hopefully you found your place in Revelation chapter 1. Today and Easter Sunday, um, we'll take a little break on Palm Sunday, but today and Easter Sunday, we're going to walk through together Revelation chapter 1. Why? Because God gives his church what we should be looking for. He gives us what we should be looking for in a season of struggle, uncertainty, compromise. And so I believe that as we come into the book of Revelation, Jesus is saying to us, his people, his church, come and see. Come and see. And what we're going to see in the book of Revelation, what God gives his people, is a vision of the resurrected, glorified, conquering King Jesus. And so come and see. Let's read Revelation chapter 1, and we'll get through the first part of uh, verse 12 today. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was And who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw. What does he see? That's Easter Sunday. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's unpack this a little bit. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's how he starts this book. What's that mean? Well, the word revelation means an unveiling like unfiltered unveiling, to disclose the truth. And so he says, well, what is it that we're unveiling? What's he say? Jesus Christ. 
This revelation is an unveiling. There's no filter on the book of Revelation, right? There's, there, it's just undisclosed truth and like pulling the curtain off or moving the curtain and all we're going to see is Jesus. And I want you to imagine like the book of Revelation is like a drama or a play. And it's, we're perfect setup for this. Imagine that the book of Revelation is a drama, but the curtain's closed. This red curtain is closed. And John's going to walk out. And you can kind of hear him with his sandals, you know, walking on the, on the stage. And he comes out, and the seven churches, right? We'll just include ourselves in those. They're, all, they're the audience. And he steps out on the platform on the stage. Curtain is closed behind him. And he stops. And everybody's quiet. What's he going to say? And he says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he continues, right? He says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. So God is the one who's giving John this unveiling of Jesus Christ. And he calls, God calls them his servants. Listen, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, there's one person that you serve. His name is Jesus. You serve him. He is your king. And God gives this revelation to his servants for the church. All right, so, so God is the one that's going to pull the curtain, right? He's going to be behind, and he's going to pull that curtain open. But he hasn't opened it yet. And he's going to open it because his people, he knows those that are the ones that are serving him, are struggling. In a time of uncertainty, they're struggling with complacency in their walk with him. And we're going to see that the churches that this revelation is given to are in a mess. They've made a mess of themselves. And God knows this, and yet he still gives this revelation of Jesus Christ because he knows his servants, those who are serving him, are in a situation where they need to see. They're looking for something. And God knows what they need to be looking for is the resurrected, glorified King Jesus. That's what we need to be looking for. That's who we need to see. And so he gives us this revelation. And listen, God knows that if a resurrected, glorified King Jesus is not going to be enough for you to stay faithful to him in a time of compromise, suffering, struggle, you name it, then there will never be anything enough for you. The best part of following Jesus is Jesus. He's it. And God knows this. He knows that what you and I need to see more than anything else in our struggle is a resurrected king named Jesus Christ. Think of the story of, of doubting Thomas, or we might use the term deconstructing Thomas, maybe in our culture today. Thomas walked with Jesus for three years, saw all the miracles, heard all the teachings. Jesus dies on a cross, and Thomas is like, I don't know about this guy anymore. Got a bunch of scaredy-cat disciples now hiding away. What's going on with this Jesus? Not sure I, I, I want to give my life to this guy anymore. Because what I thought was ha going to happen, what I think it should look like, isn't, isn't happening. It looks different than maybe what I thought it would look like. So Thomas is like, I'm not sure about this. And he tells his buddies, he's like, hey, I got to see the nail scars in Jesus' hands. I got to put my hand in his side, and then I'll believe. 
And here's Jesus, so gracious, so compassionate, so loving. What's he do? He comes to Thomas and he says, Thomas, look, it's me. This is the resurrected Jesus. Now it's me. Look, see the nail scars. Thrust your hand. That's literally what it's Jesus. Thrust your hand in my side. It's me. And what does Thomas do next? He falls to his face and he says, my king and my God. And from that moment on, turning point in Thomas's life, and history tells us that Thomas traveled to either maybe Syria or India to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and there was speared to death because he followed Jesus. Turning point in Thomas's life was seeing the resurrected King Jesus. And it's the same for you and me because the greatest motivation God knows is for you to say faithful and following Jesus is seeing a resurrected king named Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus is all you have, he is all you need. And he goes on and he says to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Right? It's future events. Now, hear me on this. When it comes to the book of Revelation, yes, the book of Revelation includes future events. But we've already established who it's about. Who is the book of Revelation about? Jesus. All right? It's going to talk about future events, but the book of Revelation is all about Jesus. We need to remember that when we're studying this book of Revelation. He says, yes, I gave this to show his servants, or God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So this does include future events. And we also need to keep in mind that this was written to first century churches. So what they're reading or what we're reading should make sense to them in some way. It's going to apply to the first century Christians as well as to us. So keep that in mind as we're studying the book of Revelation. So we know that it's all about Jesus. It's going to include future events. Let me summarize for you the book of Revelation if I could. This, this revelation to John is less about how the world's going to end and more about the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus. That's the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is less about how the world's going to end. Yes, it includes future events, but more about the victory of the church through our resurrected, glorified, coming King Jesus Christ. And so someone asks, what's the book of Revelation all about? You just tell them it's all about Jesus, just like the rest of the Bible. It's just all about Jesus to strengthen Christians who are struggling, struggling with sin, struggling with persecution. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. To show things that must soon take place, yes. But when we read Revelation, we need to see Jesus. You need to see victory. And that's why I think um, John says next in verse 3 that it's a blessing to read this book. Look at verse 3. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. He says, it is a blessing to read, the Reve read Revelation out loud. And it's a blessing to hear it read out loud and to keep what is written in it. It's a blessing. Now, John doesn't get specific here as to what the blessing is, but if we understand that the revelation is all about Jesus Christ, a resurrected, glorified, coming, conquering, victorious king, it seems to me that the blessing that we receive when we hear the book of Revelation read is Jesus. We see Jesus for who he is and as he is. And I tend to think that's the blessing that comes from this book of Revelation, is you get to see victory through Christ. I was... 
learning a little, about, a little bit about Francis Chan. Some of you are familiar with him. He was a pastor of a large church out in California, then left all that to go to India to be a missionary, came back to San Francisco, California, where he started a kind of a, a family or group of house churches. And you know the very first book that they studied? Revelation. This is the very first book of the Bible that they studied together. Why? Purely because of verse 3. He said, man, if there's a blessing from reading this book and reading it out loud, we're going to study Revelation. We're going to read it. There is a blessing that comes as you see Jesus as he is, glorified, resurrected, coming again. And then John continues, and he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. John says, this is to the seven churches of Asia. What are the names of those seven churches or the locations? We find that out in verse 11. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, Jesus, recorded in this book of Revelation, Jesus writes personal letters to each one of these churches. All right, he writes a personal, so packed in this letter of Revelation are seven more letters. Each one from Jesus personally to these churches in these locations. And if you read those letters in chapters two and three, you find out that the church at that time was a disaster. I mean, just a disaster. I mean, yeah, there were some great things going on, but Jesus writes personally to one church, y'all have left me. Y'all don't love me like you used to. What's going on? Another one, he says, you know, or actually to a couple of them, he's like, y'all are teaching false truth. You're saying lies. You're, te you're teaching these things to your people, and, and you're engaging in sexual sin. What is going on? Another one, he says, you know what? Some of you are going to actually end up in prison because you follow me. And another one, he says, you all are making me so sick, I throw up in my mouth. He's like, just the way you're living, you're so complacent, you've gotten so comfortable with culture, and you're more concerned about if culture approves of you than the King Jesus. What is, and he said, y'all are just making me sick. That's the, that's the church of the first century. But if I read that, I'm going, that sounds kind of like us. Not much different. We have... Christians around the world who are going to prison for their faith, but we do have some Christians that are compromising, that are engaging in sexual sin, calling themselves Christians, all these kinds of things. We're not much different. The church is a mess. And holiness doesn't seem to matter anymore. Listen, God himself said, be holy for I am holy. And we are like the prophet Jeremiah who said to God's people, you all have forgotten how to blush at sin. And we sit and we'll watch a show, we'll listen to something or whatever, we will laugh at blatant sin. We will laugh at it, we'll make memes of it. We're not much different. You know what we need? You know what we should be looking for? Is exactly what God gives the church of the first century. We need to see Jesus again. We need to get our eyes looking at our resurrected, glorified king. And that's exactly why God gives us revelation. And he continues in verses 5 through 8, right? From Jesus Christ, faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, and ruler of kings on earth. And I just imagine John just still standing on the stage, right? And the curtain is still closed. And, he just, and he's like, listen, Jesus is king. He's the ruler of all kings. 
He's your king. He is king over Caesar. He is king over Biden. He is king over Putin. He is king over Zelensky. He is king over Nero. He is king. And it's as if John is just reminding himself, that's who I serve. This, that he's the one that we serve. We might want all these different kinds of changes and circumstances or whatever, and God might do that. But if he doesn't, keep your eyes looking at King Jesus, the ruler of all kings. And then I love what John says next. He's the kings of the earth, right? To him who loves us. And that's in the present tense. Jesus is right now loving his church. Even though we're an absolute mess, yes. And that says nothing about us, but everything about our Jesus. That he knows everything that's going on, and yet he still is loving us. Even in our mess, even in our complacency, even in our sin, even in the persecution, he's still loving the church. Do not, listen, I hear so many people today that say, man, I love Jesus, but I'm not into the church. Then you're not into Jesus. Because Jesus absolutely loves his church. So much so that he died, spilled his own blood on the cross so that he could have a relationship with his bride, the church. It's as if you were to say, man, Mark, I love you, but I can't stand your wife. Then I'm out. And it's go time. You say that about my wife, listen. And you got a lot of people that are dogging the church. They're saying all these bad things about the church. And Jesus is saying, no, no, hold up. I know that they're a mess, but I still love them. I'm loving the church. Listen, some of us need to hear that Jesus absolutely is loving you right now. He's loving you. Even in the midst of your mess, he loves you. He loves your house, church. And then he goes on and he says he loves us. He's freed us from our sins by his blood Literally means he's washed our sins away. It's like that blood of Jesus, like this sterilizing soap that just washes away the shame and the guilt of all those things that you've done in your past and present and will do that cause shame and guilt. It's like, no, the blood of Jesus on the cross washes you clean of all that. And when you surrender your heart to Jesus, that is not how you are seen anymore in heaven. He sees you as washed clean, freed from the chains of sin that have had control over you. Sin no longer controls you. Jesus is your king. You don't have to listen to sin, those voices of sin anymore. He's washed you clean. He set you free. He's applied his blood to the door of your heart, and now you are no longer condemned, no longer going to receive the judgment of hell. Thank Jesus. He's freed you. It's as if John is remembering, even before he gets this vision, he's like, man, Jesus is loving us. Jesus has washed us clean. He's freed us. And there's more. He's made us a kingdom. And Jesus, in his conversation with Pilate, before he goes to the cross, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Think about that for a moment. That if you know Jesus, you are a citizen of a kingdom that is not of this world. Get out. Serious? That's crazy. That's amazing. That you are a citizen of a kingdom where Jesus is the king. That is absolutely wonderful news. And he's made you this part of this community of kingdom citizens, so you're not alone. 
You don't have to live this life isolated. You live it with other kingdom citizens, and they're really other children of the king of, of, of God, and he puts you at his table. You have, you're under the king's protection. You have all the king's promises. You're now in the community of the king's people. This is you if you're a follower of Jesus. And so John is just kind of, kind of remind himself of all these truths. It's why sharing life with a house church family is so important. So you know that I'm not living alone in this, that I have a community of kingdom citizens to follow Jesus with. And then he says he's made us priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Right? He's made us priests. Well, if you read the Old Testament, only priests could go in and have access to the presence of God and have communication with God. But because of the blood of Jesus, that curtain has been torn. That separation is gone. And now it's as if when you surrender your heart to Jesus, it's like Jesus puts this lanyard on you that says all access pass. And like you can go into the throne room at any time for anything from anywhere. You don't have to go through anyone because Jesus did it for you. He made the way. Then he goes, he's coming in the clouds, right? And every eye will see him. It's like Jesus is our king, but he's not done yet. He's going to come back again, and he's going to make all things right. All things right. And it's as if John just kind of takes a moment on the stage while the curtain is still closed, and the drama is about to unfold, and you hear the orchestra playing, and the music starting to get a little bit louder and louder, sort of like this crescendo starting to build to this turning point that's going to happen. And John just pauses for a moment. He's like, man, don't forget who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And I can't forget that, I think is what he's saying, too. And he's saying, listen, Jesus is worth following even without this vision that we're about to get from God. And then he gets personal. Well, you see in verse 8, the Lord God saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I love this because I think John gets personal here. He's like, your brother. Your brother. And he's thinking about his church family. He's like, man, we're... I'm missing my church family. When you're away, do you ever miss your church family? Do you ever just, you're like, man, I cannot wait to get back to be with our church family. I think that's what John's feeling because of his circumstances. I miss being with the church. I miss those people. I need them right now. He says, you're partner in the tribulation. That's why he's wanting to be with the kingdom community because he's a partner in the tribulation. And the patient endurance. He's been banished by the Roman government to this island called Patmos. Now, a little bit about Patmos. Patmos is an island in the Aegean Sea, just off um, the the country of Greece. And at that time, uh, the Roman government would send criminals to this island and political prisoners to the island of Patmos. And they would basically leave them there to find their own shelter, find their own food, all this different stuff. And many of the criminals, people that were banished to this island, they would die of heat exhaustion or starvation or like violent uprisings from other criminals. I mean, you can just kind of imagine the scene. It's like anarchy. It's like Survivor for real, or Hunger Games for real. I mean, that's what's going on on the island of Patmos. And so you can imagine, here John, he's all alone. I've been banished, I'm all alone. And at this point in history, those 11 guys that he did life with, with Jesus for like three years, they're all dead. All martyred for their faith. Paul, beheaded. Peter, crucified upside down. 
Thomas speared to death, Andrew crucified in what would today be Russia, Matthew stabbed to death in Ethiopia, James stoned and clubbed to death, according to historian Josephus, Matthias, the one who replaced Judas, burned to death in Syria. And here's John alone, missing the church, a partner in this struggle. Just imagine what he's thinking. Jesus, everybody's gone. I need hope, Jesus. I need help. And maybe the lies of the enemy are starting to creep in. John, it's really worth it to follow Jesus. All your friends are dead because of Jesus, John. Is it really worth it? Just imagine some of those thoughts going through his head. And he says, he's banished. He's alone. The church is a mess. And yet Jesus is still loving us. And as we read this, we see that we are in need of a turning point. They need a turning point. They need something. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's me, right? You need hope today. You You're looking for a turning point. And what's interesting is God doesn't change their circumstances. What he does give them is a vision of the resurrected, glorified Jesus in the midst of the circumstances. And then he continues, right? Imagine him standing out there on the stage, right? And the curtain is still closed. In verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then just picture this, right? Then then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw, and in that moment, God pulls open the curtain. He pulls open the curtain. What are you looking for? What am I looking for? God knows that what you and I need more than anything in these moments is to see Jesus. Is to see him glorified, resurrected, victorious, coming again to make it all right. That's what we need to be looking for. He's who we need to be looking for. And ask the band to come. And you say, okay, so what do we do, right? Like, what's the next step here? Well, let me just share a next step for us that I want to challenge us with. In doing some study on this and just kind of praying and seeking the Lord's guidance on what to do next as far as how do we, how do we get our eyes and our, and our gaze to Jesus again? Here's one I want to encourage us to do. Found this out, figured this out in studying, right? There are 22 days between now and Easter Sunday. 22. Do you know how many chapters are in the book of Revelation? Go for it. Take a guess. Close, 22. 22. So here's what I want to challenge us to do. Read a chapter of Revelation every day, starting with today, through Easter Sunday. And as you read, as you read, see Jesus. 
see victory. There's definitely going to be some things that you're reading. You're like, what? I don't know what that means. It's okay. See Jesus. See him resurrected. See him glorified. And see victory. See your victory and mine if you know him. If you know him. And so starting today through Easter Sunday, can we just commit to that? And dads, let me just challenge the dads for a moment. Dads, take the lead on this in your home. Take the lead, okay? And sit everybody down and read a chapter of Revelation. And if people ask questions, I don't know what that means, say, I don't either. It's okay. But let's see Jesus in this, right? Right? Maybe there isn't a dad in the home, then mom, you take over and you do that. Get your classmates together, your roommates together, and you read this together. I don't know. But, man, we've got to see Jesus. Church, we are at a turning point. We need a turning point. And God has given us one. Jesus. Listen, maybe you're here this morning, and it's just been a struggle. Maybe you've been looking for a turning point, and it just has not come. Maybe you need prayer this morning. I'm going to invite you to come this morning. We'll have our house church pastors in the back, some into the sides. And man, if you just need someone to pray with or pray for you today, I want to encourage you to just step out and receive prayer this morning. Maybe you're just with some people and you're like, man, I need, would you just pray with me, pray for me? Then do that. Grab some people right where you are and just, just pray together. And we need just to get our eyes again looking at Jesus. So church, what are we looking for? (laughs) What we need to be looking for is the revelation of Jesus Christ.